Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast, where we listen into a group of rural firefighters as they give their opinions on the challenges they face both on and off the fireground. We release a new episode every week, so please hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this with your fire family and friends. Now on to this week's episode, where as always, we ask the question, are you DTFF? Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. My name is Carl and tonight I am joined by three members of my firefighting family. I have Ash. Hey guys. I have Scott. Hey. And I have Todd. Hello. And uh, before we get into uh, tonight's episode, which is going to be an interview, we do have some news. Not great news, unfortunately, but we do have some news. Uh, Todd. Uh, Yeah, this morning... um out East Coast, Canada, Nova Scotia, there was an active shooter event. And the latest update that we just read, there was uh, 16 people who have passed away. Uh, one, including, uh, was the, uh, a long-service RCMP member um, in the line of duty when she responded. So our thoughts are with, uh, obviously, um, all the emergency responders that were involved and that RCMP officer's family and the, their detachment, and then all the other um, families that have been affected by this event as well. So it's a pretty horrific event to deal with, especially when you're thinking of everything that's going on with COVID, trying to self-isolate and, and stay with your families, then this to, to happen. Yeah. Uh, again, it just goes to show, you know, like it, it just, you never know when these situations are going to occur. You never know where you're going to be. This was small rural town. Like it's not big city crazy. So Again, uh, you need to be safe. You need to just always try and keep your eyes out. You never know when these things are going to happen. Take again, uh, we always talk about Stop the Bleed. Super important. Um, And again, a great set of skills that apply in these terrible situations. So, yeah, uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone. You know, a couple of things I think um, coming from that too, I heard there was uh, possibly a structure fire involved there and as well uh, two uh, police cars were were lit on fire. Right here, so definitely fire department was involved. Yeah, yeah, the guys and girls would have been on scene from us. Todd, you got something there? Yeah, um, I didn't hear exactly what the, some of the fires were, but um, one of the reports were that people were told to stay in place even with fires going on. Um, some fire departments, like, apparently, they weren't responding because it was still such a fluid event. They're just letting some of it burn, and then those two police cars that were in the on the news. Um, I believe one was uh, actually his car. Um, he somehow got a car that looked identical to a police car, deckled out and everything, and actually had a police uniform in place as well. Um, yep. And then that other car was involved to try and stop him. Jeez, so that was actually the shooter's vehicle. One of them, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Terrible. So just, ima- just imagine that now. You're, you're one of the responding officers or medics, and the person doing the shooting is dressed as a RCP officer in a cruiser. Yeah. That'd be pretty hard. And who's the first person you're going to try and approach? Exactly. You know, it's going to be that guy with the uniform who's going to be on scene dealing with the task that you're thinking that you need to talk to in order to start getting some, getting some details. So to make sure that you know whether or not the scene's safe to start even going in on. Crazy. Yeah, pretty horrific. Yeah. Uh, so, um, on that terrible note, again, like Todd said, 
you know, all our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone, and we hope that nobody else um, falls uh, falls to this uh, unfortunate, sad, terrible incident. So uh, this evening, we are going to be having a conversation with Ian Turnbull. Ian is a uh, safety manager for Fortis BC. He is uh, he is the damage prevention and emergency services manager. He concentrates on uh, providing training, again, for Fortis to volunteer services. And uh, it's, uh, it's, he's got a lot of information that we get out of him in here. Um, definitely some really good stuff on approach for uh, some fire attacks when we're actually dealing with these sorts of things. Um, disbursements of this kind of gas, areas that you should be evacuating, things to look out for. Some great, great content. So. Here he is, uh, Ian Turnbull. Ian, welcome to the show. Hi, Carl. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. We had uh, Ray on a few weeks ago. Um, some really, really good information from Ray. And uh, I know this one's going to come uh, come out the same. You've got all the good stuff to deliver to us. So, Ian, maybe let's start off with a little bit about you. Um, okay. Kind of how you got into the business, um, what you actually do, who you are, who you work for, and uh, your role. So, yeah, go ahead. Sure. So, I've been uh, with Fortis BC on the gas side for, oh, 32 years now. Um, prior to that, I was a, uh, I guess I still am, uh, a licensed gas fitter and uh, steam fitter. In the, in the province of BC. So I had a mechanical contracting uh, background and uh, they were looking for people with that uh, 32 years ago. So I applied and was uh, hired on. I worked uh, for a few years as a field technician and then moved into the training department. I was the training manager for the company for about 12 years. And uh, as these things go, we have job rotation so I moved from there into uh, emergency planning and uh, our security side and uh, after a few years from there into the uh, damage prevention emergency services role that I, I currently have. So uh, as the uh, as the damage preventions um, and emergency services manager correct is it, is it the right. manager? Yep. so what what uh, what does your role entail for that now? So uh, I like to tell people I've got uh, two two sides to my job, and depending on uh, how well I do on either one of them, uh, it usually drives me to do more on the other. So uh, I spend a lot of time working with everybody and anyone who's going to do uh, work in and around our uh, our pipes and uh, and meters and all the other stuff that we have buried. In our, we um, end up in the province. Uh, we've got something in excess of forty-four thousand kilometers of buried facility. So, a lot of opportunity for people to find it. Uh, the biggest message I try and drive uh, home to people is to click or call before they uh, they dig, and uh, they'll get information from ourselves and other utilities about where all of that buried infrastructure is and then you can make a plan or the contractors and homeowners can make a plan to avoid uh, hitting it but in the last number of years we uh, we suffer about 1,000 to 1,200 uh, damages to our underground plant every year 
And so that's where I fail on the first part, the damage prevention. Uh, now we've got a real incident. And uh, our, our company message is to call us through our emergency number or to call uh, 911. And most people do call 911. And in turn, that usually ends up, actually it didn't, usually it always ends up in a dispatch of the fire department to the scene. So now you're, uh, you are attending a, uh, a pretty dangerous uh, situation. You've got unburnt fuel, uh, vapor cloud, if you will, looking for uh, somewhere to ignite from. And what I do on the other side, on the emergency services side, is work with uh, the fire departments in the province in our service area to um, develop some strategies. Uh, we do some scenarios. Uh, I'll go out on uh, Tuesday nights around the province and uh, do sessions with the, uh, the local fire department to help them get a bit of skill and knowledge and information around how best to approach uh, a blowing gas incident. That's fantastic. I mean, it's, uh, it's exactly the kind of thing. So I know that you've been out to a few of our seminars. Is that the sort of thing that you've been teaching at our seminars? Yeah. So um, when we first introduced our uh, new, in air quotes, uh, program, which was about five years ago now, um, I did a real push, uh, my colleagues and myself, to uh, work with the various departments, um, ones that had uh, training officers and were comfortable with it. We would do train the trainer sessions on the material. Uh, other smaller departments or ones that just uh, wanted uh, a real life uh, Fortis person delivering the program, I would go and do those uh, as well as um, a number of my other colleagues uh, that uh, work with me. Uh, they're typically operations managers in the company. So uh, they and myself would go around and uh, try and hesitate to use the word educate, but just make <laughs> everyone familiar. Well, no, because the, all the folks that I've met in doing this are all very dedicated and uh, uh, well-trained individuals. Uh, but my my view of it is that uh, firefighters have to be uh, jack of all trades. You've got so many things that you're um, attending to. Um, so what I'm trying to do is to give you the, the techniques to handle this particular incident safely in and how that works with all the rest of the training and uh, your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like you said, you know, when we're getting on scene to these types of things, um, we, again, it, normally we know that we're coming into these sort of situations with gas leaks. Um, but uh, sometimes that's not always the case. But uh, for the majority, it is. Scott, have you got something there? Oh, no, I was just coughing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always difficult without the, uh, without the video, but helps with the stream. So um, maybe, uh, Ian, if you could touch a little bit on a portion of the actual training that you, that you do, maybe for the, the volunteer side, either stuff that you've done uh, for um, our seminars, maybe when we, when we have you down for seminars, 
Uh, obviously, we'll have you down next year now um, yep. for that too. So maybe talk a little bit about that and what you do during uh, during that presentation. So um, as you're probably quite aware, uh, there is a requirement in the BC playbook uh, that uh, firefighters have training uh, either delivered or at least endorsed by uh, the local utility. So um, when folks attend seminars, um, we usually have the luxury of being able to work it in with the live burn uh, sessions that occur. So in those ones, uh, we'll have some standardized uh, exercises, you know, fighting a meter fire, um, maybe a trench fire to simulate a, a broken underground uh, gas line uh, that's uh, ignited for one reason or the other. That's generally not possible on the uh, Tuesday night training night scenarios. Uh, and on those ones, what we've got is a, a bit of a, uh, a lecture, if you will, but what we're covering there is the, uh, I'm going to call it the characteristics and the hazards and the properties of the product. So in, in my case, uh, a little different from Ray, uh, uh, ours is uh, a, a gas, a flammable gas between, you know, particular high and lows. So we work through that, uh, talk a little bit about how our system's built. Um, a little bit about how we're going to respond and uh, hopefully that uh, means that once uh, we arrive on site because we're not a, a red light and siren uh, first responder uh, we have to uh, take our if you will uh, a slower route to the scene so Typically, uh, and particularly in a lot of the areas where we have uh, volunteer departments, uh, you're there a long time before us in some cases. Certainly in most cases, you do arrive before us. So what, do you, what are the uh, things that you should do to keep the scene safe? What kind of a perimeter should you establish? Things you should do, and more, more importantly, uh, things you shouldn't do. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about that. So let's say that uh, there has been a uh, somebody's been digging. We I know that we've shown up to multiple calls where uh, there's been a backhoe, for example, that's been digging in a yard, even sometimes on a uh, main high street, and uh, obviously they have and unfortunately hit a gas line. And uh, then the, the rest of the process begins and occurs. So maybe talk us through that. What, uh, what kind of things that you would expect or um, would at least like us to go through when it comes to that kind of a, a situation? Sure. So uh, one of the things that we do appreciate is, uh, in particular, again, if, if you've arrived before us, is you know, what do you see when you've arrived? Is it, uh, as you said, they've hit a line that's right in the middle of the uh, busy intersection? Uh, or is it uh, in somebody's front yard or in a, a farm property or the like? If, if they have hit it, is it near buildings? Is it getting into buildings? You know, are there, are there people uh, self-evacuating because of the smell of the gas? becoming quite strong so uh, 
calls like that relayed back to uh, your dispatch. They in turn can um, notify us and we in turn will uh, send the radio call out to uh, the, the people that are responding to let them know what you what you see once you've arrived. So that's very, very helpful for us. Sometimes uh, it means that, gee, <laughs> we're going to have to get some more uh, people rolling from uh, further afield and uh, get them headed uh to that uh, incident as well. So sometimes it saves us just a, you know, a, an immense amount of time if we get some uh, eyes on the ground reporting back to us what, uh, what's seen. So that's very, very helpful. Uh, the other is um, really uh, that idea of establishing a perimeter. Uh, it's, it's amazing that uh, you will have a, a blowing gas line just whistling away the area stinks of that good old rotten egg smell <laughs> and and we've got people wandering around doing their business right uh, you know parking their car five feet away from where this is occurring and just you know it's it uh, it's useful if if you're able to establish a perimeter start to get people away and uh, uh, some people are surprised. We we recommend that initially a hundred meter perimeter be established, and that's based on the idea that if uh, gas is getting into a structure and there's an ignition, then the windows, walls, and a whole variety of other uh, pieces of that building are are going to go out quite rapidly. Uh, one doesn't have to go too far in uh, Googling, you know, natural gas building explosions to see what you can see the debris field is quite broad. If you're a hundred meters back, you're not going to uh, be impacted in most uh, cases. It, it generally doesn't uh, extend that far out. So that's a um, couple of things. You know, keeping people away, getting people away, and uh, giving us information uh, about what you what you find or have found. Yeah, Scott, Scott, you got something on that? Yeah, I'm just wondering um, if it's uh, um, if it's like out on the street. Do, do you uh, suggest uh, like having houses evacuated or, or like a shelter in place sort of thing? Uh, it's a little bit. Uh, hard to um, to shelter in place. Uh, what we're always concerned about is that is the gas uh, getting into other utilities like sewer lines, cable boxes, any other underground <coughs> excuse me uh, underground infrastructure that will typically end in a in a home. So if we tell all these people just to stay inside uh, their building, but they're starting to get uh, gas odor, uh, build up a gas, and that's the last place we want somebody is inside a structure if it's you know starting to get natural gas in it. So we'd prefer evacuating people out and away as much as, much as uh, possible. 
So in an instance like that, then the line's been hit. We've now got a cloud uh, dispersing, um, and uh, obviously the smell's very prevalent. We're then evacuating a space of about 100 meters in all of the homes in that area and getting anybody within that area away from there. Um, what then would be the next steps? Let's say, for example, um, it was uh, it was not ignited at this point. So if it's not ignited, uh, you would want to uh, take into consideration where the wind um, is coming from because it's going to, uh, I'm sure Ray mentioned to you that as uh, natural gas is um, in a vapor form, it's lighter than air. It's essentially uh, half the weight of air, so it's 0.6 compared to air. So it's going to, in your mind's eye, if you can imagine this uh, plume of gas leaving, uh, it's um, going to be driven by the wind, but it's also going to be rising at the same time. And one of the good things is that we um, know that it fairly quickly mixes with the surrounding air to become uh, quite lean. So it's uh, not likely to ignite. Um, again, this perimeter initially is based on is the gas getting into the buildings. Once we can determine, uh, once our staff uh, arrive with their um, instrumentation, they can uh, add their experience. They'll look at it and go, oh, this is blowing uh, completely up and away. So, you know, you can relax your cordon now. But uh, for initial initial attempts or initial uh, arrival, it's probably better to uh, stray on the side of uh, safety and a little bit bigger than that. So if it's not, if it hasn't ignited, uh, it's looking for somewhere to ignite. Uh, and if you can determine where the wind is uh, pushing it, it might be a, an idea to try and get uh, people out of uh, buildings or any public use areas uh, downwind. Okay, great. Uh, Ash, you got something on that, right? <clears throat> yeah, I just thought it might be uh, wise to talk about uh, a practice that we've always done, and I'm sure it's something that you guys preach when you go out on the road and give uh, your demonstrations as well. Uh, so, like, say we do have a ruptured line. We are doing some evacuations we all know trying to get some public out of their houses um in a time like that is can pose some challenges uh i don't want to say people can lollygag a bit but that's kind of what we've come across what's one of the big uh like points when getting people out i've found is trying to you know get the idea across that we don't want to be um changing any electronics on or off if things are on leave them on if things are off leave them off because all of these premises have have uh, power and we don't want to be causing any extra sparks so um yeah I, I, maybe from your standpoint what's uh, what are some some key points that we can be relaying across to the homeowner or the resident uh to to try to help get them out of the property um i've found uh, people in the past they just might might not understand the importance of it so yeah just maybe touch on that for a minute yeah it's it's uh, 
challenge that we have, and uh, so you can imagine that you, with your red lights, fire trucks, and sirens, uh, guys and gals, all in uh, turnout gear, and you're struggling to get people out, <laughs> we, uh, we have an incredibly uh, much harder task. We're just guys in orange coveralls with yellow stripes. They, uh, so um, the points, however, you, you, you touched on, uh, if it's on, leave it on. If it's off, leave it off. If you're going to call somebody, don't use your landline go outside to a safe distance and call from your cell phone. So it, it really is uh, essentially that same message. Uh, don't use electrical or any electronics. Uh, leave the area and uh, just uh, wait until somebody in, uh, in authority, if you will, either yourselves or our uh, tax determine that it's uh, it's safe to return to your uh, to the home, but uh, it's it's an ongoing challenge for us to uh, to get people to take it seriously. Yeah, I could completely see that. Ash definitely brought up some good points there on that. There, if uh, if somebody was looking to drive their vehicle away, um, what would you recommend in that instance? Uh, we don't want if if the car is or truck or whatever it is is in the uh, in the proximity or the vicinity of the the gas cloud or the leak. It's not a good idea to get it idea. Pardon me to get in there and start it up. There's lots of uh, uh, arcs and sparks that occur when a vehicle's starting up. You've got hot engine parts too that in some cases can be hot enough to to ignite. It's really just uh, leave it, leave it be. We'll uh, we'll get you your uh, car once we've got everything under control here. But yeah, Makes sense. It, it, it's the public is uh, a challenge at times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Scott, you got something on that? Uh, yeah, I know. A couple times, like when we're on, uh, we've had a few bigger bigger lines uh, that were severed. Um, mm -hmm. Do you advocate? like a uh, hose with a fog pattern or anything to? So that's a, a really good um, a question. The uh, hose and fog pattern is extremely useful to direct the gas in away from an area that you don't want it going to. So it's, it's very useful. And uh, some departments have that as part of their standard operating uh, procedure for gas leaks, particularly if, say, the prevailing wind is blowing it over to a care home or, or a daycare or whatever it might be, and you don't want it going there, um, that will uh, do a couple of things. One, it helps to cause some turbulence and uh, leans out the gas a little bit quicker, but also uh, very successful in directing it in another uh, direction. There is one thing to consider though and that is that if at all possible um, try not to fill that typically it's an excavation or a hole in the ground that the people have been working on and they've they've struck her line there try not to fill that uh, hole up with water um, 
and the reason surprisingly isn't to keep our staff dry <laughs> when they come to do the work it's uh if you imagine that uh, in the in the in our system the pipe on the mainland is pressurized for the most part in our distribution network to 60 uh, psi or 420 kilopascals if you prefer and if you're on the sunshine coast or vancouver island it's pressurized to 80 psi 520 kilopascals that's really good at keeping the water and the muck and all the other stuff in uh out of the pipe but if you've got a uh, an excavation filled with water, as soon as we shut the gas off, all that water and muck uh, goes inside the pipe, and uh, it's it's a hazard for some elements of our equipment, our gas regulators, etc. Uh, we don't want any uh, debris getting into them on the inside. So before we can restart the system, we're going to have to uh, spend a fair bit of time flushing. Uh, cleaning, uh, maybe uh, uh, doing a variety of different <laughs> elements of work to try and ensure that we've got no uh, debris inside the pipe. So uh, do it if you have to, but if you can avoid uh, flooding our uh, uh, the excavation, that it's it's not impossible for us. But what it will do is it'll turn a uh, a quicker job into a much much longer job until we're uh, we're happy with everything being cleaned makes sense so just a recap here it sounds like uh if a pipe is hit then we're clearing an area of around 100 meters full evacuation with uh, all vehicles and everything staying in place until you guys have arrived and dealt with the scene um be that shut off um yeah. and then and then kind of give us the all clear is that correct that's that's essentially it. Yeah, it's um, and you know we. I hear all, all the stories, <laughs> from our techs and uh, field operations people, um, in in relation to our interactions with the fire service around our system, and I don't get any complaints. So yeah, yeah. what that tells me is that the vast majority of what's going on is is going well and uh i truly can't think of any time where somebody's come to me and said you know it was a, a gong show when we pulled up it's always been managed very professionally i think people um take the product when it's out loose like that uh very seriously and as i said if there was complaints they come to me. <laughs> so pat so yourself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Uh, Scott, you had something on that there. Yeah, I'm just wondering now, uh, like stepping forward into the, uh, like a structure fire that is fed by, um, like a Ford, you know, like a gas yep. bed structure fire. Yep. What are your recommendations on that? Would you suggest the fire department shut the gas off or wait? For so, uh, no, no, no. Um, what I would, uh, tell you uh, without any hesitation is any above ground valve if uh, you determine that for uh, what you've got in front of you this valve needs to be closed to shut the uh, supply of gas off that's 
absolutely um, fine. So meter valves and the like, uh, customers' house line or their own lines, any valves that need to be shut off there, uh, go ahead and do it. Uh, what we would ask you to do is don't turn them back on yourselves. When our staff arrive, say, hey, we turned that valve off, we turned that meter off, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, let us know we take care of uh, the relight of the, the customers. So, uh, again, it's something we, we have no issue with you guys doing. Uh, if, if you think about our meters and our regulators, um, they're a, uh, an aluminum body, so they, they will not survive in a structure fire. So now what you've got is that meter that was on the side of the building, the, it's melted away, and now you've got a pretty healthy amount of natural gas, uh, which is helping the fire along at that point. And uh, if, if there are exercises we, we practice on our um, uh, seminars, uh, and I'm sure in Oliver, for example, I think that's one that is repeated every time, is this um, uh, maybe two hose uh, crews attacking the, uh, the burning riser and uh, knocking the flame off and... Uh, a firefighter going in and, and shutting the valve off. I mean, it, so it can be done that way. If that isn't uh, uh, an option, then what we will do is um, maybe in the, the front lawn or in the, uh, in the boulevard, we'll expose the pipe and we have a variety of tools that will just uh, crimp or squeeze the line, depending on whether it's uh, steel or plastic, and shut the gas off at that point. Speaking of uh, pinching, uh, pinching the line there and, and uh, dealing with that kind of side of things, is that something that if it, was, uh, if it was a severe emergency, there was a lot of gas coming out, you guys were tied up, it was a, it was a bigger situation, you guys were very, very busy, uh, maybe all over, uh, let's say there's a wildfire incident, maybe multiple ground incidents, would it be something that you would suggest that we would be okay to potentially go down and pinch that line off ourselves using maybe extrication tools? Why? Uh, and so, <laughs> <laughs> as you're talking, just a question because there will be that. There will there will be that oh, question. No. So uh, let me tell you uh, that I did. Now that I think about it, have one one complaint. <laughs> from our staff and that was uh something like that it occurred uh in an urban area um major construction activity that had already constricted the flow uh down a, a major artery uh major arterial route in this community um the contractor of course uh nailed our polyethylene line so it's a plastic material um pretty significant size and of course our crews were um, you know a couple of kilometers up the traffic jam struggling to get through even with uh, RCMP kind of guiding us through so when our uh, staff arrived they found that um, the crew uh, the fire uh, department had uh, been very imaginative and they had used the jaws of life on this uh, it was a four-inch polyethylene line. 
They, uh, they were very, very lucky. A couple of things. Uh, that polyethylene material that we use uh, when gas rushes through it at a high rate of speed, it develops a static charge on the skin of the pipe. So there's an ignition source right there. Uh, so all it takes, if the uh, crew, uh, the fire uh, crew had been in uh, a flammable area, because they were all in their turnout gear, so they didn't have the benefit of their uh, nose guiding them. Uh, pardon me, they had the SCBA on. I'm not sure if they had uh, their gas detectors with them or not. But uh, so that's one hazard. They've, they've put themselves uh, in dealing with some material. They don't understand necessarily some of the uh, uh, issues with it, particularly on a severed line situation. Second part was that um, all of our equipment uh, has um, built-in stops. So the jaws never come completely together. And that is... Uh, because that polyethylene material, again, being plastic, uh, it is possible if you, um, again, using Jaws of Life and other uh, similar equipment, you can uh, cut the pipe with that tool. So now, if that had happened, thankfully it didn't, you would have had uh, a couple of three firefighters in, uh, you know, at a safe distance, let's say. But now this uh, tool they've used to sever the line and they're right in it. Uh, there's a s potential of a static charge off the material. And, um, you know, you just don't want to imagine that. Uh, natural gas in air burns at 3,400 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's really, really hot. Um, and so the short answer is... <laughs> Concentrate on clearing the people away, establishing the perimeter, and uh, and uh, waiting for us. I think is is the better plan. Uh, on the smaller uh, dimensions uh, pipe, uh, our tool that we would use looks extremely similar to um, hose clamps that you would probably carry on your truck. Uh, the same design feature on ours. Uh, even on the small sizes that the, the jaws don't come completely together. So even when we wind them down completely tight, it's about a 99% a uh, closure. So it'll still uh, weep a little bit of uh, gas past, certainly nothing at, a, at an unsafe quantity, but uh, it's designed that way so that the, the material isn't cut. That's kind of a long answer to your question. <laughs> it's a good answer. I could have said no. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> no, that's a great answer. Um, <laughs> so let's say, uh, so we had, we had kind of briefly mentioned there um, with, uh, with Scott. Scott kind of brought up the fact that um, if it is actually feeding a house fire, but let's say there's actually just a fire in the hole, the actual hole itself, the line has been broken. Um, what would you say the best process of attacking it is there? In that case, um, what I'd suggest is uh, if it's not impacting any structures, if there's no reason uh, to put it out, if it's not causing a, a public safety thing, it may be a nuisance. But, uh, <laughs> If it's not uh, going to, uh, you know, you have the potential uh, around the province, of course, if you've got a fire in the wrong time of year, it's uh, 
potential to create a wildfire. If if any one of those things are in um, in play, then absolutely uh, knock knock it down. However, if it's not bothering anything, let it burn. Uh, what you've done there with the fire is you've consumed all of the energy. There's no natural gas that's going to look for some other place to ignite. If you uh, do uh, knock it out uh, without cutting the flow of gas, then you've got unburnt gas now uh, looking for somewhere else to ignite. So in the fire scenario, you've used up all of the uh, energy and there's... And, and if it's if it's safe, just stand back, enjoy the uh, enjoy the fire show. <laughs> it's a hell of a show. I know, uh, and I know Ash can talk to this. We and um, one of our one of our scenarios, which you're probably aware of, when we actually run it at the uh, at our seminar, is uh, we release the gas and the gas ignites. And then we have that where uh, we've got guys kind of trying to control it with the flame and making sure it doesn't get behind them. But inevitably, yep. it always does. Ash, do you want to touch on that a little bit there? Yeah, you bet. I mean, every year that we do it, it's uh, we save it kind of for the last uh, the last session. And uh, again, we, we really hit on the, the don't put it out unless there's exposures and such. So yes. it's more of a... You know, if you can see it, you know where it is. It's easy yep. to control. That's the idea. But doing that demo is awesome. I mean, guys are, are uh, you know, it gets them working as a team, uh, trying to advance. Uh, it's awesome to see. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few. There's a few people a year that can uh, make it through the pit and actually push the fire back and yep. extinguish. Uh, but then again, now you have. Um, that gas escaping from the ground again. Now you don't know where it's coming from. So, you know, again, it's, uh, it's such, such an awesome demo. It's really cool to see it gets that teamwork thing going, but you know, the trick on that one, mm -hmm. the trick with that exercise is be the first or second person to do it because oh, for sure. <laughs> after it's run through a number of exercises, the rocks and everything are so hot. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> perfect the uh it, it's always a good it's always a good show in fact we've got it in uh one of our intro videos to the uh to the web page and we always get questions on it like why what uh what are you doing there and again it's just that control piece uh it's very interesting to watch yeah. so uh obviously we've we've spoke a little bit about um gas when it's uh when it's uh, when it's not lit uh we've also touched on when it has been ignited but I'd like to talk a little bit about the um, the kind of maybe the things that you would experience uh, if, say, you your home was starting to fill with gas. Uh, you know, any sort of symptoms that you might feel, um, kind of any feelings that you might get. Obviously, you know, the, there's the very natural smell of rotten eggs that you guys add to it to ensure that people can pick up on it. But maybe for some people who don't have that kind of a smell, maybe somebody who's looking for those sorts of symptoms. So uh, do you have anything on that? Uh, so there is no, um, it's, it's a super question. And it's one of the things we touch on when I talk about the uh, properties of natural gas. So uh, first it's not toxic and uh, it, it's not, uh, like a chlorine so it's not poisonous it's not toxic it's not going to um, attack your tissue uh, make your eyes water or anything at all like that um, 
and that's again one of the reasons that uh, the odorant that we put in the system is our first um, and probably most important uh, alarm, if you will. It's our uh, kind of a really important uh, safety measure. So um, if you were an individual who had no sense of smell, you would um, essentially be able to sit in that room uh, until what would occur is the oxygen uh, is displaced and you're trying to um, live in a uh, an oxygen deplete atmosphere. So at that point, uh, what you would do is um, pass out, suffocate from a lack of oxygen. But um, the natural gas itself is not um, is not toxic and doesn't exhibit any uh, or cause you to exhibit or experience any symptoms. Which is great. Again, it's it's another reason why um, it's such a phenomenal fuel um, to to use. It's a it's a great great alternative to others because of that for sure, uh, for a safety factor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, you know what we always. In, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was good. just going to say what well, we encourage uh, people, particularly if you know uh, my mother, for example, has uh, <laughs> no sense of smell, hasn't for decades, and so that uh, house that uh, she's in has uh, methane detectors. So, uh, you know, nowadays you can uh, buy combination units at uh, your favorite hardware store to, um, you know, act as kind of a smoke detector, CO detector, and, uh, and a raw gas or a methane detector. And uh, they're not super expensive. And uh, that's, you know, for people who know they have no sense of smell and they have natural gas, that's what we uh, advocate for them to do. Would you recommend then, uh, said that this scenario obviously with, with some, would you recommend that everybody should have maybe at least one of these detectors in their home, regardless if if they have gas themselves, just in case it then backed up in the house somewhere else due to, again, we were talking about the potential of it coming up through yep. Uh, cable boxes and things like that, would you say that it would be a good idea? There, the technology is so good these days and they're relatively inexpensive. Um, it certainly won't hurt. What I, um, you know, and, and barring though sort of hit line gas coming up through underground utilities into your home, but what um, we really also encourage people to do, and this is on uh, more the carbon monoxide side of the equation is that they um, don't just depend on a CO or a carbon monoxide detector in their home, but um, look to the services of a, a, a gas a contractor to come in, look at their equipment, maybe every year, maybe every uh, second year, you know, if the manufacturer uh, has specific recommendations on you know, the servicing and the inspection routine for the equipment you've got in your house. If you, um, if you have a contractor uh, come in, what they are more likely uh, going to be able to do is do that preventive maintenance on your unit so that at least from the carbon monoxide side, uh, it's very uh, unlikely to occur. And 
I just to kind of follow it along, I've had the uh, the uh, good fortune to listen to some recorded calls from, um, in one case, a couple of cases, pardon me, it was on uh, our, our customers calling in. Um, they're uh, telling us that, you know, it's two o'clock. Well, the one that occurred in uh, the lower mainland was uh, customers calling in, telling us it's uh, the seal alarm is just screaming. Our uh, emergency call taker can hear it in the background going off. And uh, what they're telling the customer is, okay, what you need to do is uh, wake everybody up in the house. You need to leave the building. You need to go out and uh, have, uh, you know, go to your neighbors or go sit in your car. We're going to call the uh, 911 for you. We're going to get them coming. And the uh, fellow on the other end of the line is going, well, it's, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And you're going to wake up all my neighbors coming. The fire department always comes with lights and sirens. Absolutely. Um, it's the only fun way to go. That's right. <laughs> you got a lot of people do, know you're coming. That's right. So you're going to wake up all my neighbors. They're going to be wondering what the <laughs> hell's going on. Um, you said your tech's not going to be there for about 45 minutes because the on-call persons on the other side of town and it's going to take them a while to get there. So now it's um, three o'clock in the morning. I've got to go to work in the morning. Uh, my neighbors will be mad. All of this is going on in the guy's head. And he says, no, no, it's, it's fine. Just come around at eight. Right. <laughs> so, but Perfect. our, our call take, our call taker, uh, knows uh, from training and experience that one of the symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning is lack of rational thought. And uh, that was a beautiful example in that call. The guy was not thinking about why the alarm was going off. He was more worried about waking up his neighbors. And uh, the other one I listened to was, uh, it was a Surrey fire had a, a similar call, uh, the lady's on the phone, she's trying to get you know, fire department to come, uh, and in the background you hear her husband yelling, it's okay, I got the ladder, I'm taking the wires off the thing, they don't need to come. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah, and it is, and that's the, uh, that's the interesting thing about the CO poisoning is, um, uh, CAO incidents is that people have a, uh, a device that sits on their wall for 10, 15, 20 years, never goes off, and then one night it starts to really alarm. And um, But by the time it alarms, they may be suffering some of the symptoms and uh, of you know confusion uh, and not understanding what really is going on. So thankfully in those cases, they were had enough presence of mind to make a call which uh, saved them. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's a phenomenal product, phenomenal service. And uh, 
again, you guys as, as a company put tons of time and effort into making sure that everyone in our industry, um, definitely within the fire service is trained very well, um, on controlling it as best we can, making sure that we're very aware of how mm -hmm. to best deal with the situations. It's a very, very positive thing. Sorry, one second. Just getting a call through. Okay. We are good. We uh, obviously with it being being the season for grass fires. Oh yeah. Um, there's some bands etc. that are going on right now. So uh, we've just got an alert for a campfire. So one of our officers, in fact Scott, who was <laughs> on the call with us, but had to dart off to go and uh, take care of that one. We also had Todd on here, and Todd actually got another call, and he just disappeared too. So. So no, maybe at this point I'll just uh, put in a, a bit of a plug. We have uh, just. I think we've got a couple of bugs left on an online version of the uh, uh, program that I do in the evenings that uh, the folks would uh, be somewhat with. So what we're, um, uh, we're working with the Canadian Gas Association and uh, they're hosting it. Um, we're also in a bit of discussion not a bit of discussion, we're in discussions with the Justice Institute of BC to um, have them host it as well and uh, run it on their uh, online training platform. Uh, there would be no uh, cost to the fire departments uh, for that. And it may be uh, an effective way for uh, some of the departments that uh, bring in maybe one or two uh, new members uh, over the period of a year and at least that um, piece of training can be done uh, almost at their leisure if you will uh, as opposed to waiting until Ian or Brian or one of the other uh, ones of us get around to uh, doing a session so uh, we're having a little bit of uh, trouble with the login process at, uh, at the moment so I've got a call this uh, Wednesday with the uh, gas association folks to see if we can figure out what the gremlin in the system is. Uh, I'm quite happy once we get it up and running and we're satisfied it's going to work 100% to get that information to you, the, uh, the link, so that uh, the listeners can uh, have a look at it and uh, either do it for the first time or refresh themselves. Yeah, please do. It would be greatly appreciated. I know we go through it twice a year um, yep. with these sorts of things. We do. Uh, we actually have to do a written test as well that we go through to ensure that we understand the knowledge as yep. well, which is then marked and graded to ensure that we can pass that section. Um, so having that, especially at a time like right now, any online course right now is more beneficial to everyone with difficulties, obviously with the COVID um, yep. pandemic and everyone being locked down and even with their training, et cetera, not, uh, not actually being um, allowed in the, in the fire halls and things like that. So right. yeah, it would be uh, it would be a very valuable and I'm sure again, right now um, a very well used um, course, especially um, over this next period. Yeah, we thought we had it uh, all beat. And then um, uh, Mike from uh, City of Nelson Fire uh, gave us a call. We sent him the link and he emailed back the next day. It didn't work for me. So we're not, we're not <laughs> sure what's going on. 
yeah as soon as you get the link please forward it over we'll get it out to our yep. listeners it would definitely be a, a point of value for them for sure yeah and, and again there's there's no charge uh to anyone uh, sitting through this it does have uh a quiz attached to it so as as you're uh, working through it there's um you know sort of questions to test for uh, comprehension going through and then at the end of it there's the uh the quiz that I believe is essentially the same as I would uh, be administering uh, or anyone would be administering uh, if they're using the, the current program. So, and uh, that qualifies for the, the playbook. Fantastic. Yeah. Which is getting ever, ever so more important these days for sure. Yeah. It's good. It's yeah. good to have some standards there. Uh, with that there, is there anything else you would like to add there, Ian? No, um, I just uh, would encourage uh, all of your listeners to um, uh, check out the Fortis BC uh, web page. And if they uh, go to the safety section, you will see there's a, a few pages on there around uh, first responder training. And uh, if they click on that, uh, it's both the, uh, the gas and the electric side. So uh, we do have a, a working uh, electric uh, safety training program there as well. So it's the same as uh, we would give in a stand-up session as, as well. So you can kill two birds with one stone. Brilliant. Yeah. Again, same thing. You know, it's, it's super useful to have that kind of, uh, that kind of content and material available, especially now. Um, it's a really good time for any firefighter who can't get and do the physical side of things and actually get out there and train. This is a really good opportunity to go ahead over to Forrest's website and, uh, and have these conversations and check out all of the content there to at least practice up on getting ready for if you're taking the, uh, the, the small portion for the courses, et cetera, for your ticket for the playbook. Really good opportunity to get that done. Well, I'm pretty sure that we're about to get called out on a burning complaint. <laughs> I can see the message board lighting up for our uh, fire department. So uh, before we get cut off in, in, uh, in a dramatic fashion, uh, <laughs> we're going uh, to call it off there. So thank you so much for coming on, Ian. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again, um, especially with the lead up to next year's seminar. Um, it, would be, it would be great to have you on again and have that conversation, prep the listeners a little bit for, uh, again, for what they're going to be seeing um, at, your, uh, at your demonstration. Yeah, we'll have a really good idea of what the program will be by that time. And yeah, my pleasure. Excellent. Thanks again, Ian. You take care. Okay. And stay now. safe. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. And there we have it, Ian. Um, that was greatly appreciated for him coming on and having that conversation. We uh, unfortunately had some small interruptions there due to uh, some burning complaints. It's that time of the year. So uh, Scott actually had to run out on a call and Todd actually got one down south at the same time. So Todd ended up leaving. Todd is back. Scott is still out. So we are going to roll into the, uh, the shout outs. So, Ash, if we start with you for Motus. Yeah, so Motus, they've got uh, a whole bunch of product now. Uh, started out with just the Snagger tool, uh, where now they got uh, that still, which is great. Looks like they're on version 2.0 of that. 
Um, still does all the same great things, just so maybe a bit of refinement. Uh, they've got uh, their new Hydrant Wrench, which uh, we helped them debut uh, a, few, a few weeks ago now. We've got the video up on that. Uh, um, I hope you guys like that because we uh, really enjoyed doing it. Um, they have their soft entry shove knife, uh, which they just uh, sent us. We've, we've been demoing that a bit and uh, some other new product coming down down the way. So check them out. They're on all the major social media platforms. Uh, and for a uh, discount code for them, they've been gracious enough to extend uh, a discount code for all of our listeners at DTFF5. Gonna get you five percent off the next purchase. Boom. Uh, so we also have um, RZ masks now. With RZ masks, we actually got a comment uh, earlier. I think earlier this week, where a gentleman, one of our listeners, had tried using the code, and the code uh, is not working right now. Um, I've reached out to them and asked them. Um, what is going on, what the deal is, why they didn't maybe even mention it. <laughs> um, it seems like all of their discount codes are down. I, I actually looked at uh, another one, which was public safety, uh, the one we used to use, and that one seems to be down too. So either um, because of the high demand they have had with the masks, obviously with the current COVID pandemic going on, maybe they pulled all of the codes and they're just so busy that they didn't get to anyone. Um, or potentially they, uh, it was on a year's renewal and they did not renew it and haven't told us yet uh, or forgot to click the renew button. So I am awaiting a response from them directly. And uh, once we get that, I will update you again as to whether or not that works. They are great masks, regardless of whether or not we have a code for you at the moment. Um, and if you can get your hands on one, we definitely recommend it. But uh, as to our code at the moment, it is off the table, it seems. But we will update you with that later on. Uh, we will move over now to Todd. And we'll do uh, Todd, you there for Stop the Bleed. Todd's gone. Todd, where are you at? Oh, there we go. There he is. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> go. Yeah, Stop the Bleed, uh, stopthebleed.org. Um, I know everything's uh, slightly different here as far as uh, getting into uh, any sort of classrooms. Um, I haven't had time to look to see if, there any, if they're doing any sort of virtual um, information sessions or anything like that. However, um, I know Carl had a couple of ideas for the future. We'll see if we can get something, uh, something out there. But, uh, yeah, learn about it. Uh, carry a tourniquet on your person out of the wrapper. Um, be aware. Uh, when to use it, how to use it, and also wound packing. It's all pretty important information. Um, as you can see with um, some of the horrific events that happened in Eastern Canada today with another active shooter, um, even amongst the, uh, the COVID crisis, there's still um, a lot of horrible situations that happen. Absolutely. Yeah, always, always important and uh, a really good skill to have regardless of what you're doing, whether you're walking down the street and slip and fall and land on something, you're out with your chainsaw and bucking wood, However, you are uh, out and about. It's a useful skill to have for sure. Thank you. Uh, Ash, over to you for the C-Rat. And this is where you talk. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to throw it to me. <laughs> I <Wicked. already> did. <laughs> Silence. Okay. <laughs> <We're>... <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> We're going to try this again. This is, I'll tell you, hold on, just turn your cameras back on. This is way easier now. <laughs> it really is. Oh, man, I'm laughing. <laughs> hold on, let me turn one. Yeah, so the C-Rat from Ignition USA. Um, we talked about it a while back. We had the chance to go down there and demo it with uh, Jason in Seattle. So it's the Seattle Rapid Access Tool. Um, gives you the opportunity to gain access to a residence, to a building, um, for a medical call, for a um, uh, gas leak call, something where you don't want to be forced entering, uh, and have the ability to leave the structure where you can leave it secured. Um, so on those medical calls, if you're going to be taking the patient out, you, you don't want to leave in that uh, residence with the door jam smashed in if you don't have to. So it's a really cool tool. It has um, a bunch of different features to it. Uh, we just got ours sent, sent to us, which we're super excited about. Uh, so you guys can look for some pictures, some videos coming up of that. Um, and if you like what you see there, uh, discount code of DTFF2020 for 20% off. Yeah, good little tool. I'm actually looking forward to doing the video on that, especially mm -hmm. seeing as uh, you know, I know the shove knife video did phenomenally well. Um, obviously, the uh, the motor's hydrant wrench did phenomenally as well. Uh, it, it's again those those product review videos are are really providing good value. So I'm really excited to uh, to get that out and uh, yeah, do a little bit of practice on it as well, so we know how to use it too. Absolutely, uh, Todd. Over to you for Legion Engineered. Legion Engineered, uh, Ash and I got our stickers. Hey, oh. <laughs> there's the latest update. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Joel Struthers, um, he's got a great company there that he's part of. Um, a lot of the, uh, the swag, um, they've got shirts, they've got hats, they've got decals. Um, uh, part of those proceeds all go towards uh, PTSD awareness uh, for the majority of the area the funds are raised in. Uh, we'll definitely get behind that and support that. Um, and also he has a book, uh, Appel, a Canadian in the French Foreign Legion, which, uh, Scott has finished. I believe Ash is uh, on sitting on my nightstand. You betcha. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, check, uh, please check him out as well. And we've had him on our podcast as well. Yeah. You can cruise back and check out our interview with him back there as well. Um, Jocko had him on too. Uh, Jocko had him on for, I think it was like a two and a half to three hour episode. It was a, it was a huge episode. Uh, <laughs> Todd's door is just giving him a set of headphones that have unicorn ears and a unicorn horn. <laughs> gold. <laughs> Absolute gold. They light up somewhere too, but. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. There you go, buddy. Wicked. Uh, finally, over to uh, Matt. Matt's cool. Secondalarm.org. Secondalarm.org. Um, they are a, uh, a kind of national thing that's coming out from our friend Matt. Um, they are trying to raise awareness for volunteer firefighters and try and get more firefighters into halls. Trying to really build the interest, show what we do. Um, express the fun and uh, do the old fist pump for for what we're trying to get into. So, um, yeah, it's a really, really good call. Check them out. That is secondalarm.org. And then, Ash, 
last but definitely not least and definitely not forgotten ever ever except for that one time where we forgot about those guys (laughs) (laughs) uh brotherhood academy radio um we just did our uh collaboration episode with the boys down south um it was a blast to do um if you guys have gotten this far listening to us, there's no way you haven't ventured over there. But if for some reason you haven't, check them out. Again, they're on all the major social media platforms. I know Nick is all caught up on his TikTok dances. So if you want to see that, check those guys out. Uh, really good group, group of brothers. Yeah. And that is all for everything. That's it. We're, we're mm-hmm. good. That's well, done. It's been a busy week, boys. I know we've had a few busy. It's actually been fairly quiet for calls, but it's been pretty busy for uh, for other things. So, um, like lifting things up and putting them right back down. A lot of lifting and putting down. <laughs> that is a fact. That is a fact. Yeah, I moved this week, and so all the boys came to help. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a long long day, <laughs> which is still going on. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I had a little uh, cat nap after dinner, and. Well, I was out for a few hours. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I was just happy that all, all of the things that we moved were six feet long. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially Carl's sock drawer. <laughs> That's not my sock drawer. <laughs> That's my woolly warmer, guys. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> ah. and i digress or we all do mm. <laughs> into chaos and madness uh gentlemen or, uh, any more for any more better not <laughs> we could say scott's goodbye for him we could i think we'll have to because he's still out mm-hmm. dealing with uh still out dealing with burn piles i think he's waiting for the paperwork for the call right now so yeah, yeah. but uh there we go okay Cool today, Ash. Thanks, guys. Todd. Thank you. Good night. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. Stay DTFF.